On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and I'm here to talk about the best state play ideas in 2017. In the current economic and tax environment, most estate planning clients need to look at both income tax and estate planning ideas. This presentation will cover the estate tax side of that. Keep in mind, there's a very good possibility, or at least some possibility, that we will have changes to the estate tax law, and I'll try to put all this in perspective of what techniques work and when we need to be weary of certain techniques. The cornerstone of most estate plans will be unified credit gifts to dynasty trusts. So I'm talking about for wealthier clients. We fund a dynasty trust with a very large unified credit gift, maybe four or five million dollars. Both husband and wife will make these transfers independently. We will typically set up a dynasty trust for husband and a separate dynasty trust for wife. Now, very often the healthier spouse will be the beneficiary of the less healthy spouse's trust. So if I'm in very poor health and my wife is in very good health, I will make her a beneficiary of my trust. Of course, we can't be beneficiaries of each other's trusts unless they're very adroitly drafted because we're worried about the grace doctrine, the reciprocal trust rule. Now, some very good lawyers will try to draft around that following the Levy case and looking at very subtle differences between the trusts. Other people approach that as just not even going close to this, but trying to stay away from that and focus on totally avoiding the reciprocal trust issue. These will typically be set up as dynasty trusts in a handful of states that have abolished the rule against perpetuities or a state like Nevada or Florida that has a very long rule against perpetuities. Wyoming, for example, has, a, I believe, a thousand-year rule. Now, if that is not enough planning, the next thing we would look at, especially when you have five or six children and generation skipping doesn't become a really important part of your plan in a major way, you would look at grantor-retained annuity trusts. We have been looking at, for example, we just created a very large, or we're involved with a very large seven-year grant. And the goal is to shift the appreciation, but if the client does die during that seven-year term and we do not have an estate tax, even though that property would be includable in his estate and the estate of his wife, we may not have to pay estate tax if the estate tax is going away. So that, that's a very important thing to keep in mind. What the GRAT does, of course, is freeze the value of the property at today's rate. We also are able to lock in any minority interest discounts by using the GRAT. So that is a very powerful thing. Third on the list would be the intentionally defective grantor trust sale. We see the trust, and then sometime later, there's a sale to that trust. Because the trust is a grantor trust, of course, there's no income tax gain or loss on that trust. And the leverage is usually one part equity, nine parts debt. That type of leverage, when you get a good return, creates an astronomical return on equity inside the trust. It's all interfamily, but sometimes you can get a tremendous amount of wealth transferred in a relatively short period of time. The IGIT transaction needs to be carefully modeled and designed. There are three important elements of the IGIT transaction. One is rate arbitrage. Two is valuation adjustments. And three is the tax burn. Let's talk a little bit about the tax burn. What happens is, because the trust is a grantor trust, if I'm the grantor, I need to report all that income on my personal tax return. So that becomes very interesting. 
And over time, I'm using other property to pay the taxes. In the perfect world, if all the money coming back to me on the sale would be used to pay taxes, at the end of the day, after the sale has been completely paid for, I will have utilized the vast majority of my property to basically pay my children and grandchildren's taxes. So typically, we're going to make the Idjit a dynasty trust. It's going to be situs in the state where there is no rule against perpetuities. And we're going to try to let that tax burn run for as long as possible. So it's absolutely critical that that tax burn runs. Now, what can go wrong? What can go wrong is either my wife or I can die early. And if one of us dies early, we lose half of our tax burn. So we're going to want to use life insurance or a self-canceling note or a private annuity to hedge that tax burn. I can talk about this in another conference sometime, but here's the thing. The tax burn does us no good if it goes away right away. And if you sell property to an idiot, for example, in the right circumstance in exchange for a skin, or you hedge it with life insurance, you can basically guarantee that the day you sign all those documents, you've taken care of your state tax problem, if you give that enough time for the tax burn to work. So that becomes very powerful by time for the tax burn to work. What we will typically do is we'll do skin sales often, and we will also buy term life insurance to hedge this further. Now, the sixth idea we have would be to look at trust situs. I've kind of alluded to this before, but the most sophisticated practitioners are going to look at their client situation and determine what state fits that client the best, that situation. So many times we're in South Dakota or Delaware, Wyoming. Some people still are using Alaska, although they may have an income tax in the future. And we also have to worry about Nevada. Okay, so look at Nevada. When you look at this question, it's not just an income tax question. It's not just an estate tax question. Quite a bit of it in the hands of a well-seasoned lawyer will be a UTC analysis. Which version of the Uniform Trust Code passed by a state is going to give you the best protection? So if Nevada's UTC is better on your most important point than Wyoming, you would use Nevada. Maybe it's South Dakota is better than Nevada on a different point. Now, incomplete gift, non-grantor trust. This is the Ning transaction, primarily used for income tax planning, asset protection planning. But I think Nings and domestic asset protection trusts are really having a renaissance here. Even though the exemption for estate tax is up so high, people are desperate for asset protection ideas. So they're working very hard on that. The eighth idea, charitable ranger trust. We've been involved in a number of CRTs recently. The primary reason we're seeing these CRTs is about deferral, and it's about basically rate arbitrage. How can I arbitrage those rates? If I sell on a CRT today, I am going to have to pick up some of that income in 2017. But more importantly, I'm going to pick up income in 18, 19, 20, 21, etc. And logically, those rates would be lower than the rate today. For example, the 3.8% net investment income tax could disappear and also Rates could come down from 20 to 16.5%. Even without a rate change per se, I may be able to take some of that income and bring it into the 0% rate or the 15% rate in 2018 through 2030, however we spread that out. Remember, you can do a CRT for yourself. You can do a CRT for your spouse. 
You can do a CRT for your children. When you do it for your children, there's some gift tax issues, but you can work through these things. We can manage that income better. Charitable lead trusts remain popular with caution. They have to be done for somebody with a tremendous charitable intention because typically you're giving away, if you put a million dollars in there, that million dollars, if you, it's 0%. 7520 rate, you would give away 50000 a year for 20 years. The charitable intention has to be much higher than with a charitable ranger trust where you're typically present value-wise only giving away 10% of it and then getting a deduction for that 10%, which brings your real gift down to about 6%. The other thing that's wise to look at, so we've covered a lot of ground, and just to give you some perspective, the other thing that's becoming popular with caution is after the Morissette case, practitioners, sophisticated practitioners are looking at, should I create a trust, have that trust acquire a life insurance policy on a child or grandchild, and then use split dollar to fund that trust using the economic benefit method of reporting? If you have not studied this, really take a look at it. The economic benefit method of reporting can be very advantageous in the right situation. The open issue is what will be the value of that when I die? Because you see, if I die and that receivable is includable in my estate, but it's not going to be paid off until my grandchild dies or my child dies 25 or 50 years from now, we have to present value those back. And the appraisal work I've seen talked about and we've seen in a couple of very narrow client situations has resulted in tremendous discounts because a buyer of that receivable, willing buyer, willing seller, would seek a reasonable rate of return on that and would also know that that return wasn't coming for a long period of time. It creates great risk. Morissette and Cahill are still both in litigation. We don't quite know how those will play out, but right now it looks very good for the taxpayer in those situations. So we've covered a lot of ground today. Hopefully there's been a couple of things here that will give you a little bit to think about, put things in perspective, let you know in certain situations what practitioners are doing. We have to keep an eye on tax reform, and that would change everything. If you have the biggest caution I have for everyone right now is I have some work I'm doing for a gentleman he has about 50 or $60 million worth of real estate, very successful. But he bought, with his father's help, his first rental unit when he was 16 years old, if you can imagine that. Now he's obviously been at this for almost 60 years. But some of that property has a very, very low basis. And the question becomes, because it's community property, what do we do? Do we gift it away and attempt to shift the growth? Or do we pay very close attention to the basis, knowing we could get a double step up in basis at the first death? And you have to run the algebra. You have to compare what is it worth to shift the growth outside of the state? How many years will it take of growth being shifted before that matches up with the step up in basis we would eventually receive at the first death? So keep in mind the income tax aspects of this have to be fully explored. So any of these transactions, if you're proposing those for estate tax purposes, step back and say, what are the income tax implications? Does this make tremendous sense? On behalf of Leinberg Information Services, 
This has been Bob Keebler. Thank you for joining us today.